0: You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders with Wayne Eckerson.
1: Conceptually, we're still doing ETL. Physically, it's very different.
0: My guest this week is Joe Caserta, president of a New York City-based consulting firm he founded in 2001, and a longtime data guy. In 2004, Joe teamed up with data warehousing legend Ralph Kimball to write the book, The Data Warehouse ETL Toolkit. Today, he is now one of the leading authorities on big data implementations. This makes Joe one of the few individuals within the trenches experience on both sides of the data divide. Traditional data warehousing on relational databases and big data implementations on Hadoop and the cloud. His perspectives are always insightful. Welcome to the show, Joe.
1: Hey Wayne, Uh, good to be here.
0: Well, let's dive in. I think the, the the question of the day these days uh, from most of the folks that we talk to is what is a modern data analytics infrastructure?
1: Good question. And uh, because I'm a consultant, I could say it depends. <laughs> but, um, but but in general, um, I, I could just talk about the trends of what we're doing with our clients, and um, uh, which is I think is a pretty good sample set of what's going on in the industry and in the world. Um, so, modern data engineering for us typically means being on the cloud, first and foremost. Um, I'd say nearly 100% of our work this uh, in 2017 has been uh, either migrating to the cloud or building something from scratch on the cloud, um, and uh, on-prem solutions really are not, you know, if, if there's some legacy tech debt, sometimes we extend it. But typically, anything new that is uh, being an, a new initiative for a, co- a company that is trying to be analytics-driven and using analytics to be the foundation of their business, uh, it's going to be a cloud solution. So that's the first thing, and you know which cloud, whether it's AWS or Google or Azure or something else, um, you know, it's a mixed bag. It really depends on some of the features, functions, religions. Um, That's involved. So, with that, so once we have (coughs) uh, a cloud infrastructure, then typically what's included is some kind of object data store. So, if it's AWS, it would be S3. If it's Google Cloud, it would be uh, Google Storage uh, (GCS). Uh, Azure would be what they call uh, Microsoft Blob. Which flavor of the cloud doesn't really matter that much. Um, and then, so now we have a cloud storage um, uh, object store, and then we need some kind of queryable BI-friendly environment. So typically that is still some kind of relational m p p type database still on the cloud. So in Google, it would be BigQuery. On AWS, it would be Redshift or Snowflake. Um, on Microsoft, it would be whatever they're doing. And then the final piece is the the data transformations and the orchestration. So typically what we've been doing is using Spark for all of that. So uh, all of the ETL that is done, all of the movement of data from the object data store um, to the relational database, um, that would all be done using typically Python code or SQL code uh, all within Spark. Um and then uh, the analytics on top of it still would be spark um, and then in the relational database, some kind of newer lightweight bi tool um and that's that's really the infrastructure you know <clears throat> the the other thing that's been a trend, I'd say starting last year you know and this what I just mentioned just now, this all fits very neatly into what we've called the corporate data pyramid, which we'll get into. So that's just the infrastructure side, and then what do you do with all of these components? We'll talk about. But um, but then you know we have to um, we have to you know build it, maintain it, and um, productionalize it. And the thing that's really been different in uh, in the, and this has been going on, I'd say, since probably 2011. For us, we've been doing this slowly but surely, you know, 2011 was probably 20% of, of our business was doing this, and then you know, and then maybe 10%, 20% increments, and now we are here 2018. It's all of our business. And, um, but the thing that's changed in the past year is now what we're doing is we're integrating um, the concept of DevOps with, um, with the analytics platform. So, and, and the reason that is, is because you know, it used to be, and this is one of the big differences between traditional data warehousing and modern data engineering analytics platforms, is used to be you would have some kind of business application, uh, would generate all of the data, and then it would waterfall all of the data into a data warehouse, and then you do reporting for human consumption. The really big thing that's changed in the last year, uh, last couple of years, is now the uh, the analytics platform is pretty tightly integrated and tightly coupled with the business applications. So the business applications now depend on the analytics in order to function, and in order to create the user experience based on recommendation engines or you know scoring things like you know propensity to buy or propensity to do. know whatever we're trying to measure Um, and and so that so now we need some kind of different SLA right and so what's happening is now the development and the deployment of um, of change has to be very tightly coupled with the uh, with the business applications so now we are becoming part of the DevOps environment so now when we build a new analytics platform from scratch using modern data engineering we're using, we're building it specifically knowing upfront that it's gonna be part of a DevOps environment. So we're doing things like, you know, containerization um, for deployment, rather than just having a a big bang bundling uh, of manual deployment, right? So um, I'll pause there for a minute, see, <laughs> see if you have any other questions, and then we can talk about the, uh, the corporate data pyramid.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh... How do you how do you put analytics in a container uh, and, and are you talking about embedding uh, analytics into like, say, an ERP application or is it much more of a services type of thing that?
1: Uh... Yes. Yeah. Great question. So what we're doing is we're using, you know, something like Docker, right, where we're 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 putting microservices into containers and we're deploying them um, in in containers. So, for example, you know, if you want to have a new recommendation, a new, a new feature of the application that's something like, you know, what is, you know, based on the demographic and the peer group and the behavior pattern of this customer, you know, what, what, what ads should I be showing or not even ads but like if it's like media, what headlines should I be showing? Right, so let's say now we want to refine this. We learn some more about, you know, making better recommendations on what they want to read. and We want to deploy that. We would take all of the components throughout the ecosystem, put it into a container, and just deploy that, right? Rather than doing a big bang deployment, right? Or or even, you know, doing more like a scheduled bundle of a deployment, right? So we would take, you know, the little bits of Python code, little bits of data, Right, whatever required, and we can just deploy that section of the um, of the solution. Right, so then it goes through the life cycle of DevOps, where it detects the change and it does the deployment, it does the testing, and it's all automated with the you know the the, the virtual the virtual push of a button. Right, and then um, right, and then and then uh, and you can do that continuously. Right and that's and that's the big thing that's different too is you know we would be there would be um you know one release cycle uh you know release cycle for your applications and then a different release cycle for your data warehouse and analytics and now it's it's now it doesn't really matter right now there's just continuous deployment of both right and um and that's and and that's that's the way we've been doing things, uh, probably, you know, for the past you know, we started about a year ago, but it really started about maybe six months ago, it's starting to become more of a norm where we're starting to design it to to behave this way from, from scratch.
0: So are the clients requesting you do this or are you suggesting that, hey, to get more value out of your data and analytics, let's Push this back into your operational, customer-facing applications, and we will take care of that for you.
1: That's a good question. So, t- you know, typically we don't push anything to our clients. You know, we, uh, you know, they, they tell us what problem they're trying to solve, and then we help them solve it. And one of the things that they wanted to be able to solve is well, one is they're trying to stand up DevOps um, within their their regular production business application ecosystem and then they ask us to help do that with them um a lot of our clients this whole concept of devops is new even on the business side right um for you know software development companies you know the product vendors right for them it's not so new but for like you know for banks and insurance companies and media companies they are just tipping their toe in it now, right? So we're helping them establish it, not only for the analytics platform, but for holistically through the company as well.
0: Well, it is interesting to see things coming back together and that, that virtual loop being closed. Uh, one last question on this DevOps, do you find you have to um, appoint different people to, to handle the DevOps from the analytics perspective, or do your developers yep. take care of it as part of their, you know? go to market
1: no it is it is a different skill set so now we we actually built a devops practice within Caserta uh, to handle it so now we have um, we have a a team of people very small team at the moment but a team of people nonetheless that is um, that specializes in this stuff because you know it's a whole different set of tools um, understanding docker understanding kubernetes understanding selenium you know Understanding, you know, the container registration registry for the different clouds and how it all works together, and when it comes to automated testing, exactly what do you test? How do you test it? You know, all, all of this needs to be, and then orchestration of all of this. Um, that it's a different skill set. It's very, very different from data, right? But, oh yeah. Uh, but the two worlds, the two worlds have finally emerged. And, converged.
0: Yeah, yes. that, that's exciting. So yeah. Let, yeah. let's talk brass tacks. Uh, there's a lot of organizations out there who are trying to migrate to a more modern data platform, modern analytics platform. Yep. What do you see are the biggest challenges that they face?
1: So, so the DevOps thing is something that, that everyone is trying to get their head around right now. You know, when you have a whole staff of people who know SQL and know relational databases, and now we say, okay, but all of your data is going to go to an object data store. Like, what does that look like? How should the data be organized? How do you query it? How do you use it? Like, that type of training. Um, but it, to be honest, that, that really is not as much of a leap as it was even a year ago. Like, we've, the, the evolution is happening very, very, very rapidly now. Um, when, you know, it used to be like a, you know, a year or two ago, we'd say you need to use an object data store and we were speaking, you know, some foreign language. Now, you know, they get it and, um, and they say, okay, let's, let's do it. Because I think what's happened is over the years, people started dipping their toe and they're, and they're realizing the economics of it is just, you know, without question, like it's, it's, uh, you know, you asked earlier about Hadoop. It's like you know, Hadoop was the uh, was like the the gateway drug for for like this this type of platform, right? Where you could start experiencing drastic cost reduction, right, with enhanced capabilities, and uh, and now this is just taking it to the
0: next level. So, yeah, let's talk about the object store. Is that replacing Hadoop? Uh, in- and <laughs> in In this short order, as as you kind of imply or not,
1: yeah, well, when I think of Hadoop, I think of the it's two different things right so there's there's h d f s which which is the Hadoop file system, and then there's the Hadoop ecosystem right that has other- applica- allows other applications to run, so we are still using the Hadoop ecosystem, right, so we're using on Google data Proc or on on Amazon, on AWS, we're using EMR, right? Which is just just basically, both of them are basically Hadoop. But, um, but for the HDFS, like we haven't used HDFS in several years, we're using object data stores that are native to the cloud.
0: So what is the role of the object store? What, what do you do there? Do you just leave, you know, just load all your raw data or, or do you ever query it? Or, or what is the
1: role of that? Right. So what we did is we came up with um, what we call the data pyramid. So the data pyramid uh, consists of four components, of uh, four tiers, if you will, of the pyramid. And the first tier is, is you know just purely ingestion of data or data staging, if you will. So this is where we receive data coming from other sources. Could be internal data, external data, structured data, unstructured data. It doesn't matter. We just bring everything in full fidelity, and then we we persist it. So if you ever want to rerun your 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 pipeline, your data pipeline, or your ETL, you always can. You always have your data. And that and then once you have all of your data, then we build what you know is affectionately known as the data lake, right? So the data lake brings your data coming from the ingestion area, and then enriches it with data that you have internally, like reference data or master data. Um, and then it also does some organization and some, like, governance. Um, and then, and that, now that data is available for analytics. And now you can sit something like Spark on top of it, and, and or, you know, if you don't have a whole lot of data. And by the way, like, this paradigm doesn't need to be big data, right? It's just data. And the, you know, whether it's big data, small data, it doesn't really matter. I guess the only difference is if you don't have big data, you may not necessarily need Spark. You could just use Python. Um, but even if you are using Spark, you still use Python, right? Because Spark has Python API. So so you would use Python for analytics typically. You can use R for analytics. You can use SQL for analytics. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Py, uh, Spark supports all, and you can hit all of them in your object data store. Um, and then, so now we have the the ingestion layer. We have the data lake layer. Um, but what we don't have yet is, um, you know, some kind of workspace or sandbox for people to at will create new data sets, um, do some sampling, do some testing. You know, do some what ifs, build some models. Um, so what we do is we build ephemeral workspaces. So the thing that's really nice about being on the cloud is we could spin up a new cluster. You know, um, uh, to work in. You know, that has Spark and it has. You know, you can you can copy data, you can enrich data, you can change data, you could do do whatever you like. Um, and then there needs to be some kind of uh, information lifecycle management (IOM) to say, okay, if if you want to retain this data, we need to graduate it or promote it either back into the lake or downstream to a data warehouse. If not, it's ephemeral, so it's going to go away in some kind of time frame. Usually, it's like 90 days. So if you don't do anything with it, 90 days later, that cluster is going to go down. So that so what that does is that That eliminates um, what what used to be shadow IT departments. So, you know, when you're, and this is also taking the burden off of IT because you could spin up those clusters as a sophisticated user. You don't need to be IT to spin up a a data science cluster. Um, You could just be part of the data organization on the business side. And um, And then you could do your science. You could do your analytics. You could get your findings, and then you can either uh, go through the data governance process of retaining it, or you can just drop it. So so those are the three tiers so far we've been through. So we have the ingestion area, the data lake, and then the data science workspaces. And then finally, what we have is still a data warehouse. So the data warehouse, you ask if there's still a place for data warehousing in, in modern data engineering. And the answer is yes, but it's but it's morphed a bit. So, and what the morphing is, it's on the cloud, um, and it's and it's usually a columnar data store. So when we do our designing and we do our data modeling, we're still thinking dimensionally. We still think about customers and products and stores and you know all the people, places, and things that we create dimensions for. And we also keep thinking about events and transactions and facts. So we still think about a dimensional data model, but the way we implement it may vary depending on what platform we're on. You know, because columnar data stores um, a a a true and this is you know me who wrote the book on (laughs) on you know building dimensional data models is uh, the we don't need to be so religious and so pure anymore and actually the 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 technologies out there don't like when you're religious and pure you know it's okay to have a wide fact table with lots of attributes in it um that was you know that was a big 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 no-no you know in the days of oracle sql server db2 relational databases
0: is that because the performance of these in-memory columnar databases is so good that you can get away with that or something else?
1: Yeah, well, it actually likes it better, right? Um, not only that it's, it's good and you can get away with it, it's really the preferred method. So it actually behaves better when everything is coexisting, right, in a single store, rather than to have uh, data distributed across a bunch of different tables. Um, the query optimizers actually prefer to just have a single set of data that it could just scan through right and um, so, so that's so that's a big change right and uh, logically we still create dimensional data models but physically we start doing some denormalization and taking a lot of what's uh, would normally be out in dimensions and fold them into the facts
0: I always thought we did that because the BI tools wanted those flat tables, but it sounds like the, you know, the, the Google big queries, yeah. uh, they love that too.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a win-win, right? So, <laughs> because the BI tools do like that, right? The BI and, and people like that, right? You know, so what's happening is, you know, we used to even, you know, like the tableaus of the world, like, you know, some of the newer, sexier BI tools, they still try, you know, they still kind of force you to know where your data is. You know, is it a dimension or is it a fact? And, you know, let me scan through and look for my attributes. You know, I think we're getting closer and closer to making that go away, where it's just data. And you shouldn't have to know where it is. And, um, you know, I think Google BigQuery does a pretty good job of that. But, But I do think that we're not finished yet. I think... The industry still needs to take the next leap, and the next leap is just natural language processing for querying data, where you could just open up like a search bar and say, You know, give me sales by region, and it'll give you a graph of your sales by region, and you don't need to know, you know, is region in the location table? Is it in the store table? Is it in the customer table? Like, like you shouldn't have to know these things anymore. It's like, it's 2018 now, right <laughs> where you can ask it. You can ask, we should, you know, we should be able to ask Alexa what our stores by region is and, uh, and she should just tell us, right? And I think we're getting closer and closer to that.
0: Yeah, um, we, we're starting to see some tools come out like ThoughtSpot that's all NLP and uh, yeah. incorporate it into others like power bi
1: yeah and i think nlp is you know the next logical baby step but i think we're probably going to leapfrog it pretty quickly and get directly into voice I, I i see you know i was on a panel with a bunch of data scientists about three or four months ago and they were asking us for predictions my prediction still to this day is i think keyboards are going to become something that we talk about like in the history books that we don't use anymore Um, in our in our lifetime we're going to see that happen I I think it's all it's going to be all about voice you know chatbots are a big hot item right now with a lot of our clients and using an artificial intelligence also so the combination of artificial intelligence chatbots and bi and modern data engineering are all starting to converge and I think you know it's not going to be long um, where we can just say, you know, hey computer, you know, and name it whatever you want to name it, um, male or female, right? <laughs> um, what are my sales by region? And you are going to just hear a voice that says, hey, you did, you know, one million two hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars yesterday. Great, you know, and, and I think that's that that will be the, that that is the future, very near term, I think.
0: Well that's interesting. Now let me run a scenario by you. I was talking to a director of analytics who's definitely on the bleeding edge of technology and mm-hmm. they they are querying the object store directly with Presto. They yep. have data scientists, they got rid of all their data analysts and they're using algorithms to make all their decisions. I mean, talk about AI going wild, right? They they, they trust the yeah. algorithms more than humans looking at dashboards. So I'm wondering if that's science fiction, or you you maybe you can see that as a reality. Um, they have a lot. They have like a hundred PhD data scientists on their staff, so not everyone can do this. Yeah. But it's it yeah. certainly is maybe a you know a scene from the future.
1: Well, it's not the future. It's now. Um, uh, many of our clients are doing that, or at least approaching it. Um, and And again, rem, you know remember I said all your all your data is in the object data store, and then you you push some of your data from the object data store, and that's why we call it a pyramid because it gets smaller as you go up. So all of your data is in the data lake, and then from the data lake, you're pushing some of your data out to the relational database for consumption. Um, most of the data that's being used and the reason it's in the object data store is because um, well there's two things it's in the object data store because machines don't really care um, what the data looks like the machine you know it's pretty much known queries from the machine and the machine knows what to do with that data so things like artificial intelligence The, the reason you need to put it in a in a relational store is because human beings like to write SQL and they like to use BI tools, um, but what we're seeing is really in order to write SQL and and use BI tools, you just need a SQL engine. You don't necessarily need to have a separate platform, right? So and that's why we're seeing things like Spectrum and you know Athena and 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 Presto, right? Which is basically Athena is Presto and Presto is Athena. And what we're seeing is that SQL engines are, instead of moving the data into a separate place to function, the SQL engines are just reading the object data stores.
0: So you think that's the wave of the future? We won't need a relational database for users to query. They'll just query the object store?
1: I think so. I think so. That's a big question mark, right? I think so. I, well, we're already seeing it. Um, you know, I think I think there is a little bit still of latency, right, that that users have to contend with when you're when you're taking a SQL engine and sitting it on top of a of an object data store. But as soon as that's resolved, and you know, within memory, it's it's gonna be a non-issue. But I think. But I do think that is going to be the future. And and quite frankly, I'm not sure if it really matters, right? Like right now if BigQuery has its data in its own repository or if it has it in Google storage, like it doesn't really matter. Like all we care about is the semantic. And this goes back to like Oracle. Like at the end of the day, Oracle is just basically a semantic. All of the data is still sitting on a file system somewhere in some kind of file and it's the same thing right it's you know we have a SQL engine whether it's you know uh redshift or snowflake or impala or presto or you know like it doesn't matter
0: so this is interesting so all the the technology that we've used to deliver insights to users is is changing uh, and it's simplifying the world where we don't have to move data we just ingest it and then we <laughs> query it there. But the one thing that seems to to still be a requirement is the semantics and modeling the data. And I guess the question is, how much do you have to integrate the data before you can model it for users to consume? And where does that happen with what tools?
1: Yeah. So, so right. And that's why you still need consultants or you still need people, right? Because um And that also may be changing. We could talk about why it's changing. But but yeah, so when you're receiving, you know, if you want to get a whole picture of your customer journey, right, and you think of all of the touch points of a customer where they're, like, getting mailings and you're doing phone calls and you're sending emails and you're, you know, they're interacting on the website and they're taking advantage of coupons and, like... You know, and there's campaigns sent to them. Like, every single one of those things I just mentioned is a different system. And each one of those different systems are track things at different lanes. They may call the same customer different things. Um, You know, some may be to a household, some may be to an individual. If it's a minor, it's to the parent. You know, there's lots of complexities going on when you're trying to string all this stuff together. Like, today there's no way to do that automatically right there's we need to look at the data profile the data see you know what the mappings are build some some algorithms to do either deterministic matching or probabilistic matching and there's a lot of trial and error, trial and error involved once it's all built then it's a lights out operation and you can do this identity resolution in the pipeline. For us, like if you were to hire Caserta, we do all of that in Spark, um, we do all of that in Python code, and it's all custom built because every system is different, every way you can possibly um, identify a customer or a product or some kind of event can be different. So it's always, it always has to be custom. That piece of that body of work, I don't see that like becoming... Automated or (laughs) yeah, I mean, you still have to somebody has to figure that out, right? And um, and do all of those mappings and do that identity resolution process, right? And then and then figure out how to string it all together. What happens when? What's dependent on? You know, what event depends on another event, and and then once you have that built, then you could do like really good, like you know, um, allocation models and. Customer journey um, heat maps, and you know, then the data gets really, really interesting. And then you could build algorithms to use that customer journey, um, find out, you know, behavior patterns of people who who leave, you know, who, and and you could do intervention to avoid attrition, you know, and then all of that can be automated, served up as a microservice, and embedded in your business application. Right, and then and then the data gets really interesting, and then it is a full lights out operation. And for all of this, you don't need a relational database, right? All of this is done right in the data lake, and um, and that's you know and that's the exciting part. So now, and that use case is really just a true story of how the business is becoming dependent on analytics, and analytics is driving the business application.
0: So, you know, it used to be that, you know, preparing the data and creating the model was 80% of the work. Is that still true, even though all the technology has changed?
1: Again, it depends. You know, it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, If all of the data is internal and aligned and you're getting data from, you know, uh, just a few sources, you know, it, it starts to become trivial um, but what we're seeing is that, you know, that's that's more and more and more not the case. So what's becoming the case is every business process is being done by a different system, right? So now we have Workday and we have Salesforce and we have, you know, every, you know, platform as a service or software as a service for different components of a business is, being, right, is, is causing the business to be very, very fragmented for the business process. So, you know, and then, you know, the world is round, so now comes back around, back in the 80s, Ralph Kimball created the, the Dimensional Model Bus Matrix. So every project that we do starts with the Dimensional Model Bus Matrix. So what we have to do is we have to figure out what are all these business processes, right? And capture what they are, what they do. And what are all the dimensions associated to all these business processes, and and then figure out where that data comes from, and then start building out your data lake. And and from the very very onset of any project, we're we're thinking dimensionally, and we're thinking in the bus matrix fashion, right? And we use the bus matrix as a as basically a prioritization roadmap, and we start hitting one process at a time. But once you have the bus matrix and you can see the intersection of all of your different dimensions of your business across all of your processes, it becomes very easy to start planning out your data integration. So, so you could tell right away, so for each time, each place's integration, you know you need some kind of matching rule or matching algorithm, and then you just start building that. And for us, you know, we haven't seen that's not really repeatable. Like that has to be done every time. Every time you have data coming from two different systems, you have to build a bus matrix, and for every intersection, you have to come up with some kind of plan on how to integrate that data.
0: So, you know, one thing I guess that hasn't changed from the old world of data warehousing is is just the need to get in there, roll up your sleeves, uh, understand the source data, and then model it harmonize it into some something that the business can start to use so that that still takes time maybe even more time than it used to is that true
1: yeah yeah i guess the only thing that's different is so we need to be able to match right all of the similar data you know components of data like the customers and the products and you know all of the all of the, the nouns of the business, right? But I guess what's different in in the data lake, we don't necessarily need to have, you know, a customer table and a product table. We can leave the data sets fairly raw as long as we can join the data sets through some kind of mapping, right, or through some kind of algorithm. And that, and I think that's that's what's different, right? So. When when we ultimately send it to the data warehouse for human consumption, then we would, you know, for, and you know, human is I guess a bad term because humans hit the lake too, but for the casual business user, right? The casual business user is not gonna write an algorithm to join, you know, customers from Salesforce to customers from their DMP, to customers from their transaction system, right? They just wanna know, they wanna select, okay, joke is sort to my customer, you know, what events have happened, you know, with with Joe, and and see a, a list of all of the events, right? That's a very, very different type of query than what somebody in the data lake is going to want to, like, build a model to predict what Joe is gonna do next, right? Um, and for that, you know, they're, they're used to having raw data. Like, data scientists like raw data. The more you prepare data, the more just frustrated they get with you, right? so all we really want to do is we want to have it very lightly governed to keep everyone safe and we want to allow them to be able to connect the dots between all the different data sets and that's what the identity resolution algorithms do
0: right so when you do move the data to the warehouse that is when you you know lift it up physically integrate it and move it right and create a copy of it yeah yeah, I can see that's that you know lift and shift. That's that's a lot of work and creates duplicate copies.
1: Yeah, and it's cleaned, it's conformed, and consolidated, and sometimes aggregated. Right, all of that, all of that still happens.
0: So, this kind of leads us into a discussion of roles uh, in IT and beyond, and that obviously is changing in, in many ways, but m- maybe not in some other ways. You know, one, one word you have not used or acronym is ETL. <laughs> and right. in, the, in the old data warehousing world, uh, there were more ETL developers than any other role out there. How right. is the role of IT and the traditional data warehousing shop changing? What, what new skills should people be learning?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you know, right, I wrote the book on ETL. I was Mr. ETL for decades. Um, we still, the largest part of our projects is still ETL. Um, we just don't call it ETL anymore. Right? So there's two things that changed. We used to have ETL developers who used to write ETL. <laughs> now we have data engineers that create data pipelines. And it Are is- Are those different. really
0: different? Okay. Are they different? It, it is
1: different. So conceptually, we're still extracting data from someplace. We're still transforming it into something and we're placing it back on disk somewhere. Right, so so conceptually, we're still doing ETL. Physically, it's very different. So physically, all the data is in a in you know an object data store typically, or unless we're pushing it out to um, you know the MPP on the cloud. Um, so so you know it used to be when we would think of extraction, we would extract it from some other system. And when we're loading, we're loading it to yet another system. Now we're all doing it pretty much in the same, you know. And and again, too, the the lines between all of these different systems are getting blurrier and blurrier every day. So that's why we we stopped, like, thinking about it as, like, this system and that system. It's all your corporate data ecosystem and in any ecosystem right you need all of the components for the other other components to stay alive right and you know and once you start removing things other things start breaking right so you know we still need all of the different sources and targets right it's just where they are and what technologies we're using that's evolving tremendously right that's all changing um, and the way we do our ETL is changing. Like you know, the thought of extracting from a source, having an ETL server, right, bringing all of the data to the server, running all of your ETL, and then loading it to another database. Like that's changed. That we don't do that anymore. So now we have everything on the cloud, in your data ecosystem, on some kind of object data store, and then we're running typically Spark or some other kind of engine where we can write Python or we could write SQL or we could write Java. Like the the languages have drastically changed. We used to be either 100% SQL or some kind of proprietary user interface for an ETL tool, right? Whether it used to be like Informatica, Data Stage, whatever, right? And so now what we're seeing is because we're now integrated with DevOps, we're de- integrated with the production systems, we're integrated with the uh, with like the business transactions. So now, in order to be agile, we're back to writing code the way we were doing it in 1986 with COBOL, right? It's uh, we're writing mostly Python, and so the ETL developer is now a data engineer. The data engineer has to know how to organized data and how to manipulate data using this new, this new paradigm.
0: They have to know how to write Python (laughs) Uh, and use Spark as an ETL developer. It's interesting.
1: If you want to be hired by Caserta, the interview process is you will be given a online um, Spark Python uh, test. Um, So we will give you some business scenarios. And you have to resolve those scenarios using, using Python. And if you can't, you don't get hired. It's pretty binary. You can do it or you can't do it. Um, you know how well you do it, right? You're scored on a scale of one to 10, and that depends on whether you're a junior or a consultant or a senior like, or an architect. Like you know we use that scoring to, to place you. but if you don't pass the test, you don't get hired. You have to know Python. You have to no spark
0: so so that's the future if if people want to jump on this new data engineering bandwagon that that those are the core skills they need
1: well well actually, just to, just one clarification well, that's definitely today the future you know i I would have to if I had my crystal ball, I would say that you know the world is round, it keeps going round and round, you know it used to be used to write code you know back you know. You're as old as I am back in like the 80s, right? We wrote code and then we had these tools, right? Informatica and all of these tools that would basically write the code for us or allow us to do the work without writing code. You know, it, it's not going to be, and it, there's even things out there now like, you know, Paxata, that's 100% Spark-based that allows you to do some a lot of data manipulation without writing code, right? So. I, I think there will be a trend of of products that are built specifically from the ground up to live in a distributed compute world, um, whether it's based on spark or something else, um, that where you don't have to be yeah you, know, you know a a technologist in order to manipulate data. You don't you know it, I, I think we'll see a lot of innovation in in new data pipeline tools, you know, like, you know, Amazon glue, right. And, um, and, and Paxata is one trifecta, you know, there, there's tools out there that are starting to emerge to say, you know, yes, this is the future. Yes, we do need to be able to hit data that's in an object data store. Yes, we need to distribute our workloads across a cluster. Um, uh, but no, you don't have to be a Python programmer to do it. You can use our user interface. It's it's you know it has to happen. It just it just I it's just not it's it's kind of slow going at the moment.
0: Right?
1: There's a few out there, but the, but there's there's no one really leading the charge on this yet. I think there there needs to be.
0: Great. Well, let let me ask one final question, which is on the role of IT in general. I mean, it used to be that IT did everything when it came to data warehousing. Uh, You know, they they built not only the data warehouse, but they built the applications, the reports and the dashboards. What is IT's role these days?
1: It's a good question. You know, it's the one thing so all, everything like from that we've talked about so far there's very clear trends in like what's happening and it's very easy to talk about it um in our client base the role of it it's really a mixed bag um they're all they're all morphing but they're all morphing in very different ways um, you know and and it's it really depends on the organization you know so some of our clients, the data organization rolls up to the CFO. Sometimes the data organization rolls up to the COO. and sometimes the data organization rolls up to the CIO. you know And if the data organization rolls up to the CIO, besides the tools and technologies, like very little is changing, right They're, they're still the guys who are doing all of this work. Um, where they're rolling up to other aspects, either, you know, the CMO or the COO, right, or the CFO, now the, uh, the other parts of the, uh, the other divisions are becoming less and less dependent on IT. And IT is really um, the, well, there's a couple of things. So IT is part of infrastructure, but now all of your infrastructure is moving to the cloud. Right, so IT is still responsible for, you know, the health and monitoring of what's going on on the cloud.
0: Great. Uh, well, lots of changes, Joe. Uh, this has been fabulous. Uh, you've given us a, a window onto this whole new world that's emerging. I want to thank you for yep. being in the front lines and so um, clearly articulating the, the changes for our audience. Uh, this has been truly great. So thank you so much, Jill. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.